All right, if you turn your microphones on with your limited battery capacities, everything you say can and will be used against you, even those who don't want their microphone on. Okay, we're in study 16 tonight, correct? Yep. All right, just a reminder, when I've given these out, there's a study to fill in, and then the yellow pages are a translation. Um, you got 16, right? Yeah, you got the extra ones too. And so um, they're just a, a translation I put together to try to help make more sense out of it. I don't have half of you. Is there something going on? Or? You got it? Okay. Um, just to remind you that this is intended to be helpful. Uh, what's that? I heard it coming. Yeah, the, the briefly. <laughs> starting. You can pray for me. Been a rough day again for some reason. I don't know why. You all have number seventeen. I gave out a little packet last week. What's that? What's the problem? She doesn't have. I don't have number sixteen. Fifteen. Oh, okay. Well, I got them right here. That's why I was asking if everybody got one. And the they're in the folder back there. Um, this what I started to explain was the um, handouts from the day of the Lord, uh, the rapture of Christ's coming, and the blessed hope. Uh, I gave that out tonight. I gave you one that is the um, what? How I don't remember the title. Seven Seals overview. Overview just to kind of pull them together because we'll, tonight we'll look at the seventh seal being broken. And so I, I get questions once in a while. I don't always get answers. I've been working on the, the one with the um, four living creatures trying to make a handout up, and they're not the simplest things to put together. So I will get that out as quick as I can. That's from the past. So what we're after here is that we go through study number 16, the first five verses of chapter 8, but when you go back to the folder, and I ran into that also this week, and you're looking for handouts, go by the chapters, all right? They're, it's broken down 1 to 3, 4 to 7, I think it is, and then I have 8 to 11 up here. Somebody was looking for number 15. Well, that's in chapter 7, so that's in the middle folder. So if you can't find it in the folder again, keep looking in the other folders it's just how they're broken down because I can't put all of them into one folder. It's not going to work. All right? But, and if you can't find one in there, you need to tell me so I can make up new ones. I don't know when those run out. And, and also, don't give up if they're out of order because some people will pull them out, take one, and then put them back in the wrong place. So you've got to do a little bit of due diligence to kind of um, look in there. But let me know if you're looking for something that isn't in there. I'm trying to keep... Copies so that you can go back and pick those up if you've missed some of them. All right? That's just some of the preliminary stuff out there. The um, study tonight, who'd like to read verses 8 to 5, I mean, chapter 8, verse 1 to 5 of the book of Revelation? 
There's no S on revelation. Is my voice changing according to where my mouth goes? Is it not picking up consistently? All right, Ken's going to read for us. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, with the prayers of the saints, went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there, were, and there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an, earth, and an earthquake. Okay, so as we go back to the study, number 16, uh, there's this expectant hush that comes about. But what happens first? What did John observe Jesus doing? Okay, so this is a rude example. This is a crude example of a scroll. I'm not saying they look like this, but this gives you the basic ideas. There are seven seals on here. They would have marked, this is hot glue, so don't make one like this. They would have taken um, wax or clay, put it on here, and they would have put a signet, a ring with a signet, and pressed it in. And it was not to be tampered with without a representative of the individual whose ring was put on there, there to confirm that, yes, this has not been broken and this is authentic. And they would have broken all seven. So there could have been seven different people marking it, probably was the case. But you did not get into the scroll until all seven seals are broken. What's, what's happening in this passage? The last seal is being broken, so you may now open the scroll. All right? So the first the seals are not God's judgment in chapter 6. There's nothing there telling you this is God's judgment, and uh, there's nothing about the scroll yet in chapter 6, as we go back a little bit to what we were studying. Chapter 7 is parenthetical, or um, parenthesis, whatever word I'm looking for there. It's extra bonus material that is explaining what he's doing with the 144,000 and this crowd that shows up um, unexpected that John doesn't recognize. But then he's getting back to the seventh seal. So... Again, part of my reaction, I didn't use this as a weapon, is the commentaries that I consult, and I do because I want to know what's out there, and then some of them, like one I looked at today, had five different explanations for one thing. Four of them were horrible. It's like, why take up page and ink to even write them down? But they want to make sure you understand they're out there. But most of them, um, the commentaries, are they get off on things. I have to put question marks. I have to put no, and I have to write verses, explain stuff. And they keep wanting to tell you that the breaking of the seven seals is God, part of God's judgment. There's nothing in there. I challenge anybody, and I can name some of the commentary writers, to show me one thing in chapter 6 and in the first part of chapter 8 that has to do with God's judgment when it comes to breaking the seal. So I stress that to you because it's so commonly taught wrong. Got that? Can you tell it's been a rough day in the Ebner house? You're not helping. <laughs> so what happened once this last seal was broken? Silence. There's silence. And where is that happening? Heaven. Heaven. And how long did it last? Half 
So you looked at the word silence, and your concordance almost gave you nothing. Mm -hmm. But what did you find when you looked up in other resources? There was a hush. Okay, there was a hush is how it's translated. I went to Acts to. I went to Acts twenty-two two, and it was the same word for quietness. So okay. Same word, and they translated it quietness there. Okay, good. But I don't know what translation that was in because that's the concordance only translates it silence and hush. So it might have been a different translation. There is another word for quiet in the New Testament, so you've got to make sure you're getting the right number. But I don't know that one, so it could be. And that's a, that's a fine, that translation's fine. Um, what else did you find? You looked at vines, looked up in, on your online reference tools. Nothing else? Void of sound. Okay, void of sound. Absence of noise is another way they put it. And I know some of these, you, you feel like I beat them to death, but it's like you need to understand what this is trying to bring out. So Here. I found something that said the idea of to command silence, that it was, it was commanded to be silent. And you got that from what? One of these online, it's the Strong's under Thayer's Greek lexicon. Okay, I, commands, I don't know. To command silence by making the sound st or psh. I don't know. This is this a noun. This yeah. isn't even a verb, let alone a command. So I don't, I'm not sure why, why they felt that. They're just describing the atmosphere in heaven for about a half hour. So I don't know. Anything else you find about this? Why is this a big deal? Okay, heaven's a noisy place, and I had you go in there just from Revelation and look up some things. What did, what did you find in there? What did you find in 4 or 5? Thunder. Okay, there's peals of thunder, uh -huh. and there are... There's lightning, peals of thunder. Okay, in verse, in verse 5, what, what makes noise? Flashes of lightning. Okay, peals of thunder and... Four living creatures always saying, holy, 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 day and night. Are you in 4-5? Four, 4-8. Four, okay, I'm looking at 4-5. Okay. Two things are brought up there. Sounds. Uh, oh, sounds. It says, flashes of lightning and sounds. Sounds, ah. And peals of thunder. What are the sounds? I don't know. What is another way to translate that? It's the word phone. Often it's translated Voices. So he's just trying to bring up there, right at the very beginning, you have peals of thunder, which is definitely gets your attention, but then some kind of sounds. And just mentions it like it's expected, normal. In 4.8, there is what? Unceasing phrase. Living creature speaking. Okay, unceasing speech. The thing they stress there that they're saying is holy, holy, holy. You think they'd get tired of saying that? But wait till you see God and recognize him. How about 4.11? What are they saying there? 24 elders praising God. Okay, a bunch of different people, and they are saying... Worthy art thou. Worthy art thou. This is happening in heaven. This is just what's going on on a regular basis. How about 5, 9 to 13? Four creatures and 24 elders singing. Okay, they sang a new song. And again, the song included what they're hearing, what the noise is. Worthy art thou. That must be important. How about six, one, three, five, seven? Well, what, 
What are you hearing? What's the noise? In that chapter 5 passage, it also said many angels and all creatures giving praise. And so... Okay, so praise would be in there. I'm just looking for the noise part. Well, I'm not looking for I'm who's saying. making the noise. You've got, well, you've just got so many angels and all living creatures. But it's what it's the noise they're making. Yeah. There, they're singing a new song. And they're saying, worthy art thou. In 61357. With a voice like thunder, come. In the first one, and you're assuming they're all talking like that. 6, 9 to 11. What's the noise? Saints crying out with loud voices. Crying out with a loud voice. And again, we're, there's throngs of people here. How about 7, 3? Angels crying out with loud voices. Okay, one angel says. Angels have cried out with a loud voice. What's he say? Do not harm the earth. So that's going on, and you're hearing that until we have sealed the servants of our God. 7 9 to 13. Large multitude crying out with loud voices. Again, crying out with a loud voice, salvation to our God, and then it describes worship. I didn't give you a lot of room there. I was just looking for the noise. I, I, I knew, you know, you could write verses and verses on this, but I'm looking out so you understand here. The sounds, the thunder, the speech, the worship, the singing of a new song, um, the voice like a thunder saying, come. They're crying out with a loud voice. An angel is saying, do not harm, crying out with a loud voice. This is a noisy place. And I don't think a lot of people really understand what heaven is like. How do you make sense of all that? Who can make sense of all that? God can. God can. Not confusing to him at all. This isn't necessarily being heard by everybody up there. That isn't what they're bringing out. They're just telling you what's taking place. And it's a very, very noisy place. And I gave you a list of scriptures that you can look up and see a lot more noise in a variety of ways. And six, Isaiah 6 is the one that says, holy, holy, holy. And that's the seraphim um, that are d- describing that. So as you recognize silence in heaven for a half hour, he's trying to say something. So we go back in the Old Testament, we figure out how this was prophesied. Zephaniah 1.7, who'd like to read that when everybody has a chance to get there? Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. H-Z-H-Z-M, the last five books of the New Testament. So the first Z is Zephaniah. And what does he tell us in 1.7? I'm sorry, okay, your mic's, is your mic on? Okay, because they're not going to pick this up at home or wherever they may be. Okay, one more time, David. One seven. Okay, hold your peace. Is that what your translation says? Okay. Uh, what's another one say? Be silent before the Lord God. Okay, be silent before the Lord God. And he gives you the reason, because the day of the Lord is near. How does that tie in with Revelation 8? What is about to begin? The day of the Lord. So this reference from a prophet, an Old Testament prophet, Zephaniah, referring to the day of the Lord, saying it's near, brings up the fact that there is to be silence. That may be where they're trying to get the idea of being more forceful or maybe even commanded. I didn't look at at that Hebrew word to see if it's command. But it it seems to be implied that. They said it's, it's because it comes from another Greek word. It seems to have a root in another Greek Greek word, which means the 
would be the, the verb too much, too silent. Right. That's what they, they think. Yeah, no, they may be tying it in with that. Um, but this one's a noun. Right. And, and I can't turn it into a verb. And so I've got to be careful that I don't right. bring that into this passage. So, but um, what's the second one? You've got HZ, HZ. Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, chapter 2, verse 13. Someone else want to read that? You've got to be good and loud with the microphone on. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. Okay, that one looks like another command in the Hebrew. Who's he talking to? All flesh. All flesh here. The first one was before the Lord, so it seemed like it was a reference more to heaven itself. Here it's all flesh before the Lord, Lord. so however that works. And then he gives you a reason. Because he is aroused from his holy habitation. Who's going to carry out God's judgment with the day of the Lord? Jesus Christ. So God is leaving his throne, God the Son, and he's going to come down and he's going to deal out retribution on the earth. Second Thessalonians brings that out in chapter 1. And so what we've pointed out, and this is where it's really hard for people, especially pre-tribbers, Christ is in the air dealing out retribution for a while. Eventually, his feet touch on the Mount of Olives. He eventually comes from heaven in the heavens, the atmosphere of the earth, and touches his feet on the Mount of Olives and re-enters the inner eastern gate into the um, city of Jerusalem, David's city. Pat? So Jesus, are you saying he's in, in the air for a while? It's like while some of the trumpets are going off, that's why he's in the air for a yes, while? Yes, that is. Because when the first trumpet goes off, it's the beginning of the day of the Lord. <coughs> so he's doing everything involving all those trumpets and the bowls. Right, and I- in reviewing some of my old stuff, the first four trumpets are kind of everything that's happening on the earth. It's, it, and it, then, yeah, it may be happening. It's, it gets it's, more into... Yeah, this judgment isn't on heaven. It, it is on earth. Mm-hmm. So no, I'm just saying the earth is involved in the first four, and then there's more uh, supernatural stuff going on five through seven. So that's while Jesus is in the air. All of the trumpets and the bowls. He's in the air. He's in the air. How he gets carried out, angels doing it, demons involved. There's a variety of things happening. But the focus here is the day of the Lord is God's judgment. And it's Christ dealing it out. The fifth trumpet is how with the breaking of the sixth seal, they're aware he's on his way. But judgment hasn't begun yet. So they hide out. When the breaking of the seventh seal, judgment begins. And that's what we're looking at tonight with this chapter. I want to make sure you kind of keep that straight because there's a, there's a lot of confusion and yet it's really simple. The confusion comes because too many people are teaching too many things that aren't from the scriptures. They're making up stuff. Paul? All right. Hopefully this isn't too far outside the box. But you asked, how is God listening to all this? And In heaven, the noise. Right. And it dawned on me, the Holy Spirit, when he... he um, relates our prayers to the Lord. He does it with moans and groans. So my thing, my brain just said, well, we had tongues before. Is it John just listening and he can only, he hears it because that's what God wanted him to hear, but it's in something else? The moaning and groaning is Romans 8. It has nothing to do with tongues. 
It's, it's with uh, um, No, no, I, I'm sorry. How can I say that differently? Could God be hearing this in a, not in the language that John is hearing it? How's that? No, it, if I were to retranslate Romans 8.26, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings or grieving too deep for words. So it's, it's going out of his way to tell you it's not words. So however he's communicating with the Father... It's, it's, a, it's a grieving that is, the groaning involves a grieving. But, but it's too deep for words. It, it goes beyond even the ability to communicate with language. We do that with each other. You can tell when something really serious happens in someone's life, loss of a loved one, and there aren't any words, but you can tell by the grieving, the groaning, that what they're communicating. Now, it may not be discernible in the way that God can understand what the Holy Spirit's saying or meaning. But, but that's different. People try to point to Romans 8.26 and say this is somehow um, the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. And it has nothing to do with that. Tongues are language. This is too deep for words in Romans 8.26. Will we, as humans, hear the trumpets? Yes. From You'll be with Christ. You'll be as, if you're a believer, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to be with him. You're not going to miss any of this. You're going to have a front row seat to be watching what will be carried out. Yeah, with him in the air until his feet touch on the Mount of Olives. And I'm not going to try to guesstimate in there when that happens. But when he gets there, the 144,000 have joined him in Revelation 14. Every eye is going to see him. This is another thing the pre-tribulational position tries to say. People disappear and nobody knows where they went. Have you heard that? Have you watched that in the Left Behind series that's so old now nobody's watching it anymore, I don't think? That's not biblical. When he comes back, every eye will be holding. That's why I gave you that handout on this, this packet, the third one, when it talks about the blessed hope of believers. His, and I stress to you just in there, see which one it is. Well, every eye will see him. It's the second, it's the Titus 2. Where does it actually show up? Titus 2.14. Ken, did you get that packet? I'm sorry? Well, it's the one that's quoted. I mean, put at the top there. Um, but when you turn to Titus, it's the easiest thing. Just look at Titus 2.14. And he says there, um, I mean, Titus 2.13. That's the first one. Oh, it's 11 to 14 on there. But he says, looking for, and this is what he says, the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. The pre-tribulation position, if you're familiar with that at all, and I don't want to confuse you, they think the blessed hope is the rapture, but they don't think it's the glorious appearing. Titus 2.13 tells you they're one and the same. Granville Sharp Rule, again, getting off into the weeds with the Greek. They understand that this is one and the same in verse 13. His, the blessed hope and the glorious appearing are how Christ comes back. He doesn't come back mysteriously. And the reason I stress that to you, and for people that may be listening to me and going, oh, you're all wrong, is ask yourself, where do the believers go when they go up in the rapture? Where's Christ? Where's Christ? First Thessalonians 4 tells us they meet him in the air. How is the world going to miss millions of human beings in the air with Jesus Christ? How's that going to be a mysterious thing and they don't know where they went? I don't know why anybody ever taught that because it has nothing to do with Scripture. But they're trying to create this system 
that doesn't exist in the Bible. There is no such thing as a pre-tribulational rapture. The church goes through the tribulation, but it doesn't go through the day of the Lord. The great tribulation is not God's wrath. The day of the Lord is God's wrath. And they're two different things. And I've taken a lot of time over the years trying to explain that and teach that and try to help you understand. And so I gave you a few more handouts here on what's involved. You don't have to trust me. Just go start checking out what people are saying. And the picture here in one seven of Revelation, right in the very beginning when we started the study, he says there, Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. And what they're trying to do is say that only happens at the end of the 70th week of Daniel. If it happens at the end, then how does he deal out retribution after the church is snatched up? So they've created this system of their own, and I know I'm getting into the weeds. But that's what I keep telling you. A lot of confusion today isn't from the Bible. It's from what preachers have done with the Bible. And so you've got to push away the preaching and even the notes and read your Bible. Go check it out according to what it says, and you will clarify everything. It is not confusing. People are making it confusing. Any questions with all of that? And I reemphasize that on a regular basis because I think people, they get into the weeds, and then they give up. They go, I can't figure this all out. Stop listening to people. Start reading your Bible. Over and over and over, read it out loud, teach it to somebody, get into the word. That's what makes all the difference. Teachers are okay. Teaching's fine. But you should search the scriptures daily to see if what is being taught is true. How long does that take? It takes a lot of time. It's got to be a priority. But if I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness... Where have I set my priority? On that. Because God says his word is that important. Profitable. So, any questions at this point, after I got all, all over the place with that first section? The prophets, Zephaniah, Zechariah, foretold this day, and they said there'd be silence. And there hasn't been silence in heaven for 6,000 years, because this hasn't happened yet. And there will be silence. It's coming. And once this is over, there will not be silence again. Because God will come down and reign on earth with man. It'll be a noisy place. You're looking at me like there's questions. That's why I keep asking if there's any questions. Are we going to need the earmuffs? You what? We're going to need earmuffs? For? The noise. The noise. Oh, up there? Nah. You're only going to be in one little place at one time. Oh. Yeah. You, you can pick and choose what, what you get to hear and not hear. You're going to be in and out of the city of Jerusalem, reigning with Christ on earth. I don't know where your assignment will be, but you'll be coming back and forth. So there'll be times you get into noisy situations, which you get into now when your grandkids are all over, or you're at some carnival or some convention or whatever it may be. Uh, but at the same time, you can be all by your lonesome uh, and, be, and have total silence. But this is not common in heaven. So, that's the end of the first section. We've covered one verse. Whoa, whoop de doo right. <laughs> Verse 2, what else did John see? Seven angels. The seven, the seven angels. angels. So why does he say, why does it have a definite article? Before I move on to the next question. These are specific angels. Uh -huh. Okay, they're specific in some way. 
Who, how does it describe them there? With this next question, what do these angels do? They stand before God. So that, why only seven? Why wouldn't all the angels be in this position? Why is he zeroing in on this? Who might this include in Luke 119? Gabriel. What's it say there? Someone want to read Luke 119? And make sure your microphone's working. Luke 119. You're looking for hard words. Just read it. Anybody? The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Okay, so there are only seven? We know Gabriel stood in the presence of God. He could have been one of these seven. He could be one of them that's going to be carrying out this judgment in the end, or maybe not. He doesn't say. But it's interesting how he's described and how they are described. So there's seven specific angels that have this role. And they're, they're given a, a definite article to describe them. We probably shouldn't even start this. But how do we know that this seven is seven angels when the last time it was seven somethings, it was seven and it was the Holy Spirit? Okay, because of what it said. The number seven is, is not what's significant. Here it's calling them angels. So I know they're messengers. Well, it said the seven spirits of God. I know they, right, but go back to the context. That's talking about, um, in the context, you know, do you want, okay. you want to go no, there? No. Okay, I think that's chapter one, going back to it. But it's the context that tells you what it's referring to. The number seven is just giving you a complete, it's just bringing out the completeness that it's used many, many times in the book of Revelation. Jim? Um, could this also include Michael from Daniel? Because... Well, um, Daniel ten thirteen, Michael is called one of the chief princes. Uh, ten twenty one of Daniel, uh, uh, there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. And then twelve one. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince, who stands guard over the sons of your people. So it kind of okay, wh sounds. Wh what's his role when Christ comes? First Thessalonians four. The voice of the archangel. archangel. I've been listening to music lately, and I keep finding boo-boos in songs. And that's not good because when people repeat and repeat and repeat, they start thinking that that's what the Bible says. And, and there are mistakes at times. And one of them is, I just listened to a song today or yesterday, I don't remember which, and it put an S on the end of archangel. Does the Bible tell you there are more than one archangel? No. That's not used that way. There's only one, and it's, his name's Michael. And when the rapture occurs, what does Michael do in 1 Thessalonians 4? <coughs> this always open book. The, voice, or the Lord himself, in verse 16, will descend from heaven with a shout, there's a noise, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So where will Michael be? He's with Jesus Christ in his coming. This is stressing these seven angels are the ones who stand before the throne. I don't know that that's Michael's role because, as Jim just read, Michael's role is a special guardian for the nation of Israel. Gabriel gets sent, and his name only shows up two times in the Bible. And they're in the, uh, well, I don't know if they're both in there, but one is with Mary. 
when he brings the announcement about the birth, that she's pregnant with the, with the um, Jesus, the Christ. And so there's uh, very little told to us, but Michael is a messenger that's sent out with a very, very special mission. And he stands before God, is what it says in that chapter. Then you have, um, I mean, uh, Gabriel, I said Michael, sorry. And then uh, Michael has a unique role of being involved with Israel on a regular basis. Disputes over the body of Moses. He's the um, restrainer who's going to be removed. He's, he's restraining any harm happening to Israel. He has a role. So I, my simple answer back would be I don't think he's one of the seven. Okay. So, um, okay. Thank, so how do we associate him as being the archangel in First Thessalonians? It doesn't use his name. Because there's only one archangel. Where else is he called an archangel? I'm not finding it. That's I gave my concordance away, so somebody needs to look that up. Okay. Well, I, I did, and I don't... Oh, I'm sorry, Jude 1.9. says, Jude. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Right, and it's, it's oh, a singular... Thank you. It, it doesn't tell you there's more than one. Ark is where we get the, the word, um, like, we use it in English as arch enemy. Our number one nemesis, the one who's really out to get us. So we put, we pronounce the ch. In in the Greek, it's just archangel. They leave out that h sound. And so you're you're realizing he's the number one angel. He's um, God's top servant, and his top um, messenger, servant messenger, is guarding Israel. And that's what Jim was reading. He, Michael only shows up five times in the New Testament or in the Bible. And so again, we've made him popular in Christmas songs. But they really aren't that popular in the Bible. But they have a role to play, along with myriads and myriads of other angels. So he's, the, the, these seven stand before God, probably why they're called the seven angels. And what was given to them in verse 2? Seven trumpets. So you look this word up, 4536, and it will help you in no way with the concordance, because it doesn't give you a whole lot. But when you looked it up, what did you find? It means a... What? Got to have it loud enough for the microphone. Reverberation. Okay, it can, it can, that can be what they do, but, but what is the trumpet itself? It's a trumpet. Okay, it can be, a, be used for a war, but what is a trumpet? Signaling. An instrument. An instrument. What is your concordance translated as one time? A bugle. Bugle is one time it translates it, so I can write that down. What kind of instrument is it in the Old Testament? Ram's horn. It, it signals. Ram's horn. Okay, it's a ram's horn called a shofar. And again, I'm still not asking what it does or what they use them for yet. We'll get to that. But at this point, I'm just trying to get you to realize this trumpet in the Old Testament can be a silver hammered trumpet that the priests use, made out of metal. All one piece. All one piece. But oftentimes, and probably more often, it's the shofar, it's the ram's horn that they would turn into a you, you, we don't look at that and say, that's not a very good trumpet. You know, it's like, what do you do with that? So you've got to get different ram's horns to get different sounds. Because the different lengths on them and the different sizes will produce a different sound. But this one here, it's, it's a bugle. It's probably a shofar, which would have been a ram's horn. That's all I'm looking for. So they're handed these. So you can visualize this in that scene. This is probably what they're being handed, not a hammered metal trumpet that would have been rarely used only by the priests in worship. But they're, they're going to blow these. Whatever the noise might be. 
And so I had you look them up. How were trumpet used in Israel's history? In Numbers 10.2, there's the metal one. What's it tell you there? Straight, silver, glared on one end. Okay, they're silver trumpets, man-made. For summoning the congregation. For summoning the congregation. That's what the idea is, how they were used. Assembling, yeah. Okay, so they would have blown those for summoning the congregation. I'm sorry, it wouldn't. But again, typically it would have been the priests, and I think that's what's in the context there. How about Joel 2.1? What, what kind of trumpet is that? It's to sound an alarm, specifically in relation to the day of the Lord here again. And it's to sound an alarm, specifically in relation to the day of the Lord here again. Okay, this specifically in the Hebrew is a shofar or ram's horn in this one in Joel 2. That's why I lean toward it being that in the um, uh, Revelation 8. In Zephaniah 1, 14 to 18, again, it's a shofar. It's the Hebrew word being used, and what is it used for there? Okay, God had him loud for the mic. Yep. Fear and wrath. Okay, it brings fear and wrath, but it's used for? Battle cry. Okay, it announces what? Battle cry. It's a battle cry announcing? War. Specifically? The day, of the, the day of the Lord in that passage. God's wrath. I'm just trying to pull things out of the text, okay? I'm, I'm really not trying to make stuff up, but I'm, I'm, I want you to realize there's two different kinds of horns. They had different purposes. They're sometimes used to summon the congregation. In this case, Joel 2, Zephaniah 1, it's a shofar, ram's horn. It's sounding an alarm. It's in reference to the day of the Lord. It's a battle cry. It's describing God's wrath. Really important. That, and they would have heard that. It would have gotten their attention. Just like when you're at camp and they ring the... The triangle, ding, 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 ding. what does that mean? Come to dinner. It's mealtime, and you better get there first because all the guys in front will eat everything and you won't get any. It's even more important with the Israelites. They would have reacted quickly when they heard this. They would have scrambled, just like on the deck of a ship when the alarm goes off. I saw one in the olden days. They used to actually put the microphone there, whatever they use on the ship, and they had a guy blowing a horn into it. I think it's all computerized now, no doubt. But back in the old days, I saw some old films. They were, the guy was literally blowing in the different versions of what they needed to tell them to do with, with a um, trumpet there right on the, on the sound system. I thought that was interesting. Anyway, any questions with verse 2? All right, you get this expectant hush with the seventh seal being broken and then this exact holiness. This, this is a very unique time. This is bringing out God's wrath is what's going to come here because of sin, man's sin that has taken place. So in the last section, verse 3, who showed up next? Another angel. When you look up the word another, it's another of the same kind. There again, Ken, is how another can be used. Or the word other probably would how it would be used. You can have another of the same kind or another of a different kind. So you have a homosexual or a heterosexual. That's using the words from the Greek. Same sex, other sex. And that's how the word's being used here. So which one is this? Of the same kind. Another of the same kind. When you go to verse 3, he says, okay, I'm sorry, I'm using, I, I use homo. I shouldn't have done that. That's the word same. This is alas, which we also use in English, and I probably could come up with a better example. But this is all us here. It's another of the same kind of angel. 
But the point is, it's an eighth angel. It's not one of the seven. It's another one. It's a good angel, a messenger of God, but it is an eighth. And what did he do? Stood at the altar. What was he holding? Golden, Golden censer. And I had you look that word up. Hard one to define. 3031. Holder for burning frankincense. Okay, it's a holder specifically. The word is connected with frankincense, but it's a fire pan to burn some kind of incense, and in this sense, probably would be frankincense. Some kind of fire pan or a, um, what's the other word I had here somewhere? I just have a fine set of vessel. A vessel in which to burn. Yeah, some sense. kind of vessel to burn in. I have it here somewhere, but I don't see it now. And what was given to this angel? Much incense. Much incense. So you look up this word, 2368. It means? An aromatic substance to be burnt. Okay, an aromatic substance to be, be burnt. Uh, I think Vine said fragrant stuff for burning. Yep. What is the emphasis here again based on the word? And in the context there, it's probably frankincense. Mm -hmm. According to Vine's expository dictionary, he brings that up. Yeah. What was frankincense? I didn't ask you that. Okay, it's a specific um, incense that they typically use for embalming. Why was it so special, Linda? Oh, you were going to say something. Well, no, I, I was just going to say frankincense. Okay. What did they bring to Jesus at his birth? Frankincense and myrrh. Frankincense, myrrh, and gold. Okay. So they're very precious gifts. Frankincense was not a cheap incense. What would it be equivalent to us today? If you wanted to buy something that would be in a little teeny bottle and cost a lot of money, what would it be? Expensive perfume. Expensive perfume. Okay, what, you guys don't buy that stuff, I can tell. <laughs> I can tell you because I don't buy it. What was that one, number five? Oh, Chanel. Chanel number, Chanel five. number five. They're all cheap, cheap now, I think. But they used to, some of them used to be really, really spendy. Or some karate. of those essential oils. And, and which? High karate. High karate. Okay, that might be a virgin. <laughs> but what spice. the reason they were so expensive was why? Rare oils. Yeah. Okay, they may have been rare, which made them expensive, but they also were real. They would last for a long time. You ever notice a lot of the cheap colognes you put on? Five minutes later, you can't smell anything? It all evaporated with the alcohol. Yeah. Would this be some of the spices that they treat a body uh, for? You know, You'd have to look up. I don't want to answer off the top of my head, but I believe in those days, you know, um, they when they came in um, put Matthew 20. Pounds, something about 50 pounds of different spices. Matthew 28. I know I'm looking for scripture, though. Otherwise, we're just guessing. I'm, I'm not good at that. That's okay. <laughs> I'm trying to see where... Oh, that's after. Okay, where'd they come to actually anoint him? Jesus is buried. The women are coming. Okay, they're just coming to look in Matthew 28.1, so that doesn't help us. So you can look up frankincense, and that'd be even quicker to figure out where it shows up. And then it would tell you if it shows up with embalming. Very expensive. Joseph of Arimathea and um, Nicodemus prepared the body of Jesus. What did they use? Nobody can find frankincense anywhere. Jim? John 19, 39, Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh 
And aloe is about 100 pounds weight. Okay. But no mention of frankincense. It doesn't say, it's just myrrh. And in, okay. And in Luke 56, uh, they return to prepared spices and perfumes. Okay, so frankincense doesn't show up very often. It uh, may have been special and used for only certain occasions, I don't know. But they brought it to his birth. The kings traveled clear across the countryside for months and carried a special gift. What did they do with that? What did Joseph and Mary do with frankincense? They had two options. Three options. Could have sold it, and that would have been a very good option. It had a high value. Another two, used it on Jesus. Number three, saved it for the prophecies of what was going to happen with him down the road. We don't know what happened to it. I leaned toward, they sold it. It wasn't something that they would have needed or used. It would have just been a high-value object, and they may have sold the gold as well and the, the um, gold myrrh as well. Linda. Yeah, and when, when Mary, the Mary washed Jesus' feet and had that expensive perfume, they just said it was a perfume, I think. Right. They didn't give it. Okay. So we don't know for sure what was in them. We're not saying it can't be frankincense or some version. Even with the Old Testament priests, when they used it, they made up a concoction of three different ingredients, and they were told the Jews were told not to copy it. You copy it, and you're in big trouble. Uh, was that not the one that the Lord had them make specifically for the tabernacle? Yeah. So in this case, why was the incense given? That he might add it to the prayers of the saints. Okay, what prayers of what saints? Could be general, and which one? Or it could be specific. It could be chapter 6, when they were praying souls under the altar, asking for judgment. Uh, 6.10, they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, wilt thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? That's their prayer. Judgment hadn't come yet. Is it being added to that? This is the beginning of the day of the Lord. This is the beginning of God's wrath. They're adding this up. Is it the prayers of the saints that have cried out to God? People today, by the hundreds, if not the thousands, are crying out to God because of their being jailed, tortured, having everything taken away, family members killed, all the things that are going on. There's many Christians praying every day right now. Maybe it could be added to all of that. Paul? Yeah, it says all the saints. So why, if it says all the saints, they would have to be the multitude and... People underneath the altar. Could be. Yep. Could include all of them. Well, I mean, it says all, it's all, right? Right. Okay. And I, again, I don't know if that's just prayers for judgment or if that's what prayers of all kinds. And so I don't know what's going up there when it puts it that way. But yes, it says all. I'm not trying to discredit that. But they're adding this. Um, incense to those prayers. And so the picture there is this is going up to God. Is this a fragrant aroma? Is this something like Moses did after the flood that God is happy to smell? Or is this something that's just reminding God why this is so deserving? Well, well when they used to sacrifice, when they used to I know, but I want to make sure that if I can't hear it, I'm over here. I want to make sure that can hear. When, when they would make sacrifices, and they said it sent a great aroma up to God, 
So, I mean, in the Old Testament, right, in general, he was always right. talking about this wonderful aroma that went up to God. And all of those animal sacrifices yes. were blood that was being sacrificed in reminder of, of what? Repentance of, of, of sin. sin. Reminder of sin. Mm-hmm. Over and over and over and over. Here it's finally being carried out. And this will be the final payment. The only people left on planet Earth will be believers whose sin has been atoned for because they have applied the blood, they've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. And this is the responsibility on their part. Where will, was the incense supposed to be added? Okay, upon the golden altar. Where was that altar? Before the throne. Before the throne, and I put in parentheses in... In heaven, we're assuming here, because that's where everything's going on. So what does Moses teach us about this altar in Exodus 30? You can turn to that if you um, want to follow along. Exodus 30, the book of Exodus, what's going on in this section of Exodus? What is Moses doing? Telling them how to make the altar. He's being given instructions on how to create initially the tabernacle, and then eventually it'll become... They'll build the temple that'll be permanent. This is a movable tent that was going to be taken around with them. So when you go to Exodus 30, what does Moses teach us about this altar? What do you find in there? Acacia wood. Okay, it's made out of acacia wood. Overlaid with gold. Overlaid with pure gold. What was it before that? It's a place for... Burning incense. Burning incense. You see that, and again, I didn't write verses next to it. Verse 1. Yeah, in verse 1, place for burning incense made of acacia wood, overlaid with pure gold. What else do you find? Near the Ark of the Testament. Okay, it's in front of the veil, in front of the mercy seat. And then Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it, and he shall burn it every morning when he trims the lamps. Okay, and then how long beyond that? It is a perpetual... Okay, so this goes on and on and on. It, it has molding with some kind of holders for the holes. holes. They're also made of acacia overlaid with gold. They weren't to touch this. They were to carry it on poles, although it's not given the same threatening promise that the ark was given, that if you touch it, you would die. Jim? It's a cubit by a cubit by two cubits. So okay, good. The size? 18 by 18 by 3 feet. The cubit is from your arm down to the tip of your finger. Tended to be around 20 inches was typical. You could measure yours when you get home and see what your cubit is. But when they wanted to measure something, they had it right there, built-in tape measure. What's the span? Distance from this, from your thumb to your pinky. That's a span. So they could walk up and say, oh, R8.5 by 11 for me is about a span. So they were given sizes. So this thing has a, an interesting foot and a half by foot and a half by three feet tall. What are our cupboard heights and typically in our houses? Three feet tall, 36 inches is what you, they, they go after. Unless you're tall or short, that, that's about what, it, that's kind of interesting. That it's still something similar that we're following. But as you're coming in here and looking at this, he's... Um, Bringing out, well, he asked the question, what happened to the incense? In verse 4. I'm sorry? It went up before the Lord in smoke. 
or he puts out smoke before the Lord. So this is what's burning, because your first thought is, how can you burn something on a wooden, something made out of wood? Gold-plated is not very thick, but it's also not a hot fire. Because it was very hot, it would melt the gold, too. So you're, you're talking about just a little bit of incense. I hated the 60s. Yeah. What did people tend to burn in their homes? Incense. Incense. And when I walked into somebody's house that burned incense, I wanted to throw up. Yeah. I, I hated it. Never liked it at all. Mm-hmm. The only thing I could think of, and I was told they were burning incense to cover up, Okay, maybe in other things, but that's not what I was told. That's what some people may have done. Not the people I hung around. They were just trying to cover up the odors in their house. This is for, they invented those little things you could plug into your, your outlet. And refill, even. They were just covering up the smell of their house. Thinking it smelled good, I'm going, no, I'd rather smell your stink than that. Just give me the real deal. Linda? probably smoke in their house all the time because of cooking and how they you know in their homes they didn't have air conditioning and when my mom cooked it smelled really good ever and so fish maybe okay so you're you're dealing with some stuff here this puts out smoke it's going up before god what did it combine with the prayers of the saints the prayers of the saints it's interesting so he put together this package deal that goes up before god and then who took the censer the angel which angel the eighth one. I put that on there just in case you got mixed up here. Because now we're referring to the one that's in the context he's in. And then on the page two, what two things did the angel or eighth angel do with the censer? First off, okay, he took fire from the altar and filled the censer. How much fire is there? Are we burning the gold in the acacia? No. I'm not talking about overwhelming it. He's just using it. But from the altar is significant. Why is that significant? What was the altar used for? The prayers of the saints. And what did he do with it? What's the second thing? Threw it to the earth. So that's why I lean toward this being prayers of vengeance. Prayers for God to do something. Prayers like you see in chapter 6. And I just lost the verse again. I get them all mixed up. I think it has to do with that. And I don't mean just... um, the, the more sincere, or not sincere, the more serious ones, where somebody died and you're crying out for God, vengeance, we want vengeance. I'm talking about prayers for every single thing. When they start taking away your money, when, they, when your credit card is no longer functional, when you go into your savings account with these 87,000 new employees, they don't talk to you first if you've done something wrong. They go in and remove your funds. Why do they do that? Yeah, they think, if we don't get to it first, you'll, you'll take it away and we won't know where it went. We've had friends that happened, that happened to them, ruined their whole business. Because they, they took the money first and then they started asking questions. Mm-hmm. And it was real simple, real easy to fix. Could have been fixed, but they destroyed their business. 87,000 new ones are going to be doing that. Guess where the new people get trained? They don't get trained with the billionaires. They don't get trained with the millionaires. They get trained with the thousandaires. Because that's a new word I made up. They get trained with the most basic of the tax returns. Churches. They work their way up. Now, churches are complicated. They'll they'll put their old people on some of those. But they'll start. So for them to say they're not doing anything with anybody under 400,000 is a joke. You can't start these people at that level. They won't know what they're doing. 
So this makes you get excited, right? It's getting really close. When America goes, the world goes. I've told you for years, the Antichrist has to break America to take over the world. We may be watching it happen right now. By a nation of patriots, fellow Americans who have sworn to uphold the laws of the land, and they're breaking everything. They're violating everything. Who's in control? God's in ultimate control. Who's running America? Satan. So we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be worried. There's nothing you can do. They'll know you took all your money out, and they'll show up at your door and ask you where it went. What are you going to tell them? You went up in smoke, I burned it. We don't need to fight them. That's not it. We don't fight flesh and blood. See, this is the thing. I keep trying to remind them why I'm bringing this up here. We're not, that's not where our battle is. Don't get out your gun. Don't check your ammunition. Don't sight in your, your weapon. Love them. When they come to the door, share the gospel with them. And they'll what? I said, that'll get them out the door. Yeah, they may, they may go away. Because if you're nonstop sharing scripture and just tell them how much you love Jesus and what he's done for you because he died on the cross for my sins and he rose again, and you may find these people going, let me out of here. <laughs> but you don't use the gospel as a weapon either. So here they are. They filled, the fire, uh, filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth, flung it to the earth. And what four things happened after this angel did such? What were the sounds? Peals of thunder, thunder. voices, just says sounds, that's the word phone, shining, flashes of lightning, lightning, and then shaking, an earthquake, earthquake. that's kind of interesting, this is all the beginning, he hasn't even blown the first trumpet yet, what does the world realize is happening, they may realize that, it may not, but they saw that in chapter 6, when you went back and looked just at the breaking of the sixth seal, they said, um, to the rock, mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence. This word here is the face of him who sits on the throne. How do they even know that? And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? It isn't happening yet, it's beginning. And it won't start until the first trumpet's blown. The world knows what's going on here. One of them is going to take five months. I can't have that at the end of the 70th week. I've got to have at least five months back. And that's why when you realize great tribulation begins in the middle, Matthew 24, 15, verse 21, then there should be great tribulation with the abomination of desolation, Matthew 24. And then it's cut short in verse 22. It's amputated with the coming of Christ. And it goes on to tell you that. Immediately after the tribulation of those days in verse 29, he gives you the descriptions of what's going to be happening. Where did anybody ever come up with pre-tribulational rapture? It's they false just, teaching. They just wanted to feel good. They didn't want There's something they're doing. They're trying to get the church out of here. They're, they're making things up, and they're deceiving people. It's not helping the church at all. Jim? Uh, what we're talking about here reminds me of, of Romans 1. 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Everybody knows the truth. Yep, and that's a present tense. The wrath of God is being um, revealed. I was looking for the word there. Present tense. People know. They know in their conscience, conscience, 
they, they know from what they've been taught. They know from the Holy Spirit convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. They know. When you're sharing the gospel, recognize there is no ignorance. And I've heard a number of testimonies from homosexuals who said when they shared with me, I knew what they were saying was true, and I didn't want it. One guy ultimately became a believer and admitted that. Don't think they're ignorant. They're not. They're defiant. Don't beat them with the gospel. Don't run the IRS agent out with, with the scriptures or a big, big fat Bible. Holy Love Spirit. them to Christ. That's right. Don't Spirit. hand them your money. Don't turn over your stuff to them. You, you need to make sure they follow the law, but do it with a smile on your face. But, it, but as you're going down through here, there's no fear. God's in control. So how is this similar to God's presence in the Old Testament? In Exodus 19, 16 and 17, what things in verse 5 are seen there? Okay, loudly for the mics. What's that? Thunder. Uh, no, no. Okay, thunder. And lightning. Lightning flashes. Thick cloud of smoke. And a very loud trumpet sound. A very loud trumpet, which there is a shofar. Interestingly. Who was Moses meeting? God's presence. God. Who are they going to meet on the day of the Lord? God. There isn't going to be a whole lot of difference. God is simply getting people's attention and drawing their little cheekies right up to God and look at him when he comes. Do they have opportunity to repent? Yes. Yep. When you get to the bowl judgments and near the end, the sixth one, fifth and sixth I think it is, but I could be wrong in there. They're blaspheming God, which means they're defying him, and they are refusing to repent. The only ones that can't repent are those that have received the mark. The assumption on our part today is that everybody's going to get the mark of the beast. Do you know how defiant people are today? They don't follow government. They don't follow the Antichrist. They don't even follow the devil if they're told something that they don't want to do. And they definitely don't follow God. They're defiant. There will be many unbelievers who don't get the mark. But they're not going to take Christ either. They sure wore masks when they were told to. They should what? They sure wore masks when they. Yeah, that's out of physical fear that they're going to die to wear a a mask with a COVID. So as you go down the bottom, what's the significance of these opening verses in chapter eight? What does God? Why does God start His judgment this way? Just some real quick snippets. What did you? What did you perceive that's going on? Why start off with? Why not just jump right into verse six? What's God trying to do? Who's he? Who's he focused on? First off, remember what the book? Who the book of Revelation is about? It's about Jesus Christ. He's fulfilling prophecy, the silence in heaven and all that's taking place. He's in charge of the angels. They're going to blow out their trumpets, not two, five, seven, one, three, six. He's got an order. Sorry, just trying to confuse you. An order that they're going to blow. It's going to be logical, symmetrical. He's going to carry out this, then this, then this, then this. First, second, third, fourth implies that. What did you put down here? Why does God start a judgment this way? To get the, the attention of all. Okay, he's going to get everybody's attention. Mm-hmm. All right, they're going to recognize that he is fulfilling his role as God and there is no other. What can people do during this before the trumpet's even blown? Repent. 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 Uh-huh. Turn to Christ. So he's given them time. Linda? 
saying getting full attention of those on earth that the wrath of God had come and then expressing the somberness of those in heaven of what would now be taking place. Okay. Heaven's paying attention to this as well. Yes. That's another good thing to bring in. Somberness of all that's happening. How long has this been anticipated? Since Adam and Eve sinned. Yeah. 6,000 years. Yeah. Is this a kind of a change in heaven? Yep. God has not. He judged the earth with water, but he left a few. And now he's going to judge the earth with fire. And he's going to leave a few believers. That part's similar. But they've never seen the earth burnt up. This is unique. They saw it drown. And now they're going to see it burn. So the prophecy is being fulfilled. It's, it's the way he is entering into the day of the Lord. And all this happening. This is a really, really big deal going on here. So he's taking his time to walk into it with these first five verses. And he's showing you, in this case, he's using angels. What did he not use in Revelation 6? First seal broken, second seal broken, third seal broken, fourth seal broken, fifth seal broken, sixth seal broken, even the seventh seal broken. Who's not helping? Angels. Angels. Who's helping right off in verses 1 to 5? The writer. Angels. Yeah, the living creatures are crying out and commanding, come or go forth. But God is not judging in the breaking of the seals. This is the drum roll, remember? They're waiting. Break, 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 break. Okay, now, chapter 8, it's time. You can get into the scroll. Last question. I was just, I was just thinking about, I look back to where they t- talked about another seven angels. When they talk about the seven angels. And... The other seven angels listed in Revelation were the, each angel of the uh, of the churches. Uh, yeah, so they had a role to the seven churches. Uh-huh, and they were messengers going out to the, that's how he starts Revelation. Right. There were seven of them. So I was yeah. just, and, and of course John is writing down too what he's, you know. Okay, and it's possible that you could tie those two together. And this, these seven angels are the seven that talk to the churches. I don't know, and there's no, no way to prove it's that. It's the only way I could. I saw yeah. when it went back that it said these seven, like we yeah. had seen them before. Somewhere. So that's a good possibility, good observation. So hopefully, Ken, we didn't overdo it. They came in, they came in having already studied this, and some of them spent days working on this. Mm-hmm. I know some did. What will be in the scrolls? What will be in here? The best guess, we studied this a while back, that what, what they would seal up with seven seals was very critical, private information. And what typically they did in the Roman days was that this would be a last will and testament. And so you sealed it up, and then when you died, your representatives verified that nobody had tampered. Nobody had gotten in there and changed it in some way. So when it's opened up for your relatives for your children, for maybe your grandchildren, whoever was going to read it, they realized it was no different than when the dad first wrote it, and now it's authenticated that it's, it's um, not tampered with, and Christ is the only one allowed to open this. It's about him. And if it's title deed to planet Earth, that's the best guess most people take, that what's written in there is instructions to Christ himself and, and giving him authority to rule. But that's the best we can do because it never tells us. You, you read the book of Revelation, this scroll is never read. Contrary to many of the commentaries that you'll read. 
They think a lot of stuff in there is being read out of it. I don't know how they're getting that. So, sorry, I shouldn't mock or get frustrated. Any other questions? I know. Pray for me. It's been a rough, rough day. Okay, there's, there's more desserts. If you need some kind of um, soothing, comfort food, something like that, get permission from your spouse if, if you're going to eat two. And um, let's pray. Father, I can't wait. I would be with John in there crying out, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly as this book ends. But at the same time, we have to wait because you're not willing that any should perish. And as we lead someone to you in the next few days or week, two weeks, we'll understand why you're waiting. You're not eager to destroy people. You're eager for the church to be ready. You're eager for the church to be taken up as a bride for your son. You're eager to deal with sin in this world, but you love the sinners. Help us to have that attitude. Whether they work for the government, whether they have a title of some kind of politician with their name, whether they are with the IRS, whether they're with the FBI, whoever they may be, they're human beings that Christ died for. Some of them are... Legitimate. Some of them are going to be really nice. Some of them might even be Christians. Help us not to have a bad attitude toward the world. But may we be eager to walk by your spirit and to fight the spiritual battle that's going on around us. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the feet shot with, the, with peace, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and to pray And, and the word of God, the spoken word of God, as your son demonstrated as he was tempted. But to have prayer as a constant part of our lives, as Ephesians 6 concludes. These things are sometimes missing. We need your help to be armored up that we might stand against the devil. Not to attack, not to run away, but to stand our ground, maintaining our post, carrying out your command. So thank you for the reminder tonight, and we exalt Jesus Christ. We come to you and recognize it's only because of him that we come in Christ's name. Amen.